0: And welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute I'm Jonathan McFarlane and joining me today is Gaby Mackay Hello On the pod we're going to be looking at the issue of Colt teams After the results from the Tonics Caramel Wafer Challenge Cup We're going to talk about... Ajax and their performance in the Champions League last year and whether or not that could actually be replicated by Celtic after comments made by Kluge manager Dan Petrescu. We're going to take a stop off at Partick Thistle and finally we're going to have a quick chat about fantasy football. Gaby, Colt teams, we've seen the results in from last night. We saw Kelty stick four past Kelly. St. Johnston were defeated uh, soundly 4-1 by Cove Rangers. Hibbs were defeated by Elgin. Brora beat Aberdeen 6-0. And Livingston were beaten by Fort Martin United 3-1. That's a number of the Premiership sides uh, papped out of that competition at the first stage. We saw St Mirren, Celtic and Rangers all squeak through that competition alongside Hearts. But given some of these results, and you look at Brora 6, Aberdeen 0. Is this the perfect riposte to the Colt team advocates? Because surely that kind of result signifies what would be a lack of sport and integrity to the lower leagues if some of these teams came in.
1: I think it absolutely does, yeah. And I think it also sort of takes a knock on the argument that it would help the players' development because I don't think it can help your development too much if you're getting beaten 6-0 every week. I did quite enjoy St Mirren's under-21s managing to beat East Kilbride when actual St Mirren couldn't beat East Kilbride when they <laughs> played them a few weeks ago. But aside from that, I mean, there were some really some really big results in there. I mean, you look at Kelly getting beaten 4-0, you look at obviously the, the 6-0 Aberdeen against Brora, I think St Johnson lost 4-1. So it really does show you that there's a... a a big gap between what you would call senior, if not professional football, and uh, the under 21s. And so I think the argument for having cult teams in there, I think based on that last night, they'd certainly be out of their depth. I mean, even Celtic and Rangers, okay, they got through, but Celtic needed a late penalty to beat Queen's Park. And I think Rangers scraped through, was it 2 1. So I, I think. And that, that was the first time that Rangers
0: have actually ever gone through. Uh, so far in these uh, the Challenge Cup and uh, Graham Motty did talk about that in his interview after the game. Said that he, he challenged the players, you know, get through. But this was Berwick Rangers they were playing, and we know how bad Berwick have been recently. So perhaps it's not the best acid
1: test of how good that young Rangers team are. Well, quite, and you know the fact they beat Berwick Rangers uh, isn't necessarily a huge a huge feather in the cap. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's a good argument really against the cult teams, and I think also if you look at. One thing people often say is about if the bigger teams have cult teams in there that will boost the tendencies. But, you know, I, I looked up the attendances from last night. You had Berwick v Rangers, 303. Queen's Park v Celtic, 321. St. Johnson v Cove was 175. Hibbs v Elgin, 424. Kelty versus Kelly, 509. You know, mm-hmm. it's not exactly uh, bringing in the big bucks. And that was with <laughs> everyone getting a free caramel wafer when they went in. <laughs> Listen, I agree with that
0: argument that, that I don't think it would be a big boon. Um, if you had Celtic and Rangers cult teams like people, some people would have you believe, but there wasn't a lot of publicity prior to these games, was there? Rangers and Celtic aren't going out their way to sort of drive people into these games, which I think would help, and especially if it was part of the lower structure. I think there would be an increase, uh, a small increase though, and certainly nothing that's going to, you know, re- revolutionise the finances of these clubs like you saw when Rangers came back through the leagues. Um, Isn't there also, though, Gaby, just to take the opposite stance of the point that you're making, isn't there also a case here that given we're seeing such a gap in some of these scorelines, that actually there is a need for Colt teams because Brora beating Aberdeen 6-0, for example, shows that these Aberdeen youngsters are just not ready for, for playing in a men's environment. So does that not suggest to you that perhaps a Colts team would help them make that step up? Because it does underline the fact that that under-21 uh, or under-20s, as it were, football just isn't competitive enough when a, a team like Brora can come in and smash a youth team of Aberdeen. Uh,
1: no, I disagree with that for, for a couple of reasons. I think the first is that if if a team of young players isn't ready to make that step up, I think they're probably better competing and honing their skills against people who are their own age. I'm not sure how much you learn from getting beaten 6-0 or 4-1, 4-0 all the time, um, you know, you only have to look at the the Nations League how they've restructured that. So, like your San Marino's and your Faroe Islands and whatever are playing teams roughly of their level because they're learning nothing from being beaten twelve 0 by Germany. The other aspect that I'd argue is the if they were in the league, it's about the integrity of the league. If you are having teams in there who just cannot compete and are given free points away. Every couple of weeks, then you know, and you know, in what sense is that senior football? You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Let's get down to the brass tacks here.
1: There's no discussion
0: about Livy or uh, Hibbs having a cult team. It's Rangers and Celtic at the moment. I think that's part of the problem with the argument because people just see it as big, bad, old firm coming along and monopolising sc- Scottish football to their benefit, which I think is a fair, <laughs> it's a fair assessment uh, to be honest. But I do think we do have an issue. With getting these youngsters the kind of matches against men in a competitive environment that will see them thrive, I think any footballer you speak to who has a hand in youth development will often talk about that. Do you see this as a? Do you see an, an alternative option to um, get these guys first team football because? I know a lot of people are talking about the loan market as a way to to bridge that gap, but that let's be honest, that hasn't really worked. We've not reached a, a national finals in over twenty years.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I think I don't know why they changed the development league from the way it was before, where you were allowed to have sort of three or four senior players in there, which I think would be a much fairer test of of the way of the way it would be in men's football that you're playing with people who are mostly. Your own age, your own stage of development, but there will be a couple of players in there who you can really test yourself against. So I, that might be an idea. Um, and also, I think the the thing you've got to take into account is when we're talking about you know League Two in Scotland, it's not professional football. These are mostly part time teams. You're playing against you know you're playing on probably bad pitches in sort of ramshackle stadiums against guys who are part time footballers. And no disrespect to them, quite the opposite. But it's not the same. In my mind, as you know, uh, Bayern Munich's youth team playing in the third division in Germany, where it's all sort of professionalised and you're probably playing on nice pitches, it's not, I'm not sure that playing in the Scottish third division, whether it's on loan or for a cult team, is necessarily the best thing for a player's development because I don't think it's anything akin to professional football or top level professional football in any case.
0: Craig Mulholland, who's been probably the loudest advocate alongside Chris of Celtic, has said, until we get a B team in this country and play against men's football, the loan market is massive for us. So surely that's the way at the moment that Rangers and Celtic have to develop their youngsters, is to get them out to teams and expose them to that first team football. Now I do see the negative aspects of that in terms of they aren't then under the auspices of very good coaches who are training them in a, in a certain way and in a certain environment to uh, to get ready for that, that big jump into the Rangers first team. It's very difficult for a um, a player to go down and play at Albion Rovers and say, well, that's a good grounding because you're playing a completely different style of football in a completely dis- different environment on a completely different sort of standard of pitch with potentially a manager that has a completely different philosophy. So I do understand the club's point on that. However... There has been a number of players that have benefited from that over the years, especially down south, but you look uh, to former Scotland international Charlie Adam, went down to St Myrna, had a superb season there... And that was the trajectory that got him into the Rangers'
1: first team, that lone move. Chris Ayer went to Kilmarnock for six months, got in the Celtic team. It's not unheard of. Now, both of those obviously were top flight orbs and possibly were in the second division. They were in the they, championship. They, they were think. in the championship. Okay. Obviously, th- those are not as, as big a lone move as you'd be suggesting the level that Colts would be playing at. But I also think as well, y- you have to have sort of some respect for the teams in that division that... It's not just, you know, a sort of a plaything for the teams in the top league. It's not just, oh, we're going to use it to develop players. I mean, these are clubs that aren't well supported, but, you know, you could argue that's almost in some ways a more pure form of football support. You know, these are guys who there's 300 of them going along to watch their team every week. They're probably, you know, helping out at the club during the week because they're part time and they don't have any money and these are teams who are never going to get to the top division never mind win a trophy never mind playing Europe and I think it's a little bit disrespectful to them to say well let's just parachute in Celtic Rangers Hearts Hibs or whatever because Mm -hmm. we want to do this you know it's I think you have to respect the sort of lower levels of the game the grassroots for what it is
0: I absolutely agree and I would not support the Colt teams going into uh, the old third division League 2 but I think I would be more open to the idea of them going in at the lowest level, which is the Lowland League. What's the difference, say, between a colt side and e-sport? now the Caledonian Braves?
1: Uh, well, um, uh, no, uh, that, that's a good point. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really know, I guess, would be the answer to that. I've stumped him, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> finally, it's taken three months. We have finally got Gaby Mackay um,
0: stuck for words.
1: Yes. Um, no, it's a good point. It's um, a good point. Well made. Uh, and on that, I'll move on. I'll st- I'll stick to being
0: ahead. Um, so, w- some interesting quotes from uh, Dan Petrescu. Obviously, Celtic playing against Cluj tonight in the Champions League in Romania, um, and uh, it's the usual sort of uh, psychology of, a, of a, an opposition manager. Um, he was talking about how Celtic were the favourites, um, and you've written an interesting piece today looking at uh, Dan Petrescu's previous visit to Scotland, where um,
1: Rangers played uh, the the magnificently named... Unarea Uzicheni. Now I haven't checked with the Romanian, so I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but uh, that's how it reads anyway. Sounds vaguely
0: like a sort of uh, infection.
1: It does, yeah, it does very um, much so.
0: But they, they were—I remember the game actually quite well. Um, it, was a, it was a very interesting game. I think Rangers lost four-one at Ibrox. It was, uh, it was something else. But they were very strong in set pieces, and uh, I think you were expecting that to be the same again. Amongst all these quotes, there was one very interesting point that I thought was a bit of a talker. So I thought I'll put it to you. He said, one day if they don't sell players, Celtic can become like Ajax and do what they did last year. Now, this was a topic that was discussed at the time with Ajax because they had a £47 million budget. Celtic, we know from their accounts, uh, certainly under Brendan Rogers, I think it was 53 or £54 million budget. So Ajax were actually performing at a level underneath Celtic financially. So it begs the question if Celtic weren't to sell players, Gaby, do you think we could be looking at a side that they could build that would maybe have that kind of impact. You think of players that they've let go and players even that they have in their team now, the likes of uh, Kieran Tierney, um, Callum McGregor, obviously high quality players. Then you add into the mix, you know, a big goalkeeper who was very good at the time, like Fraser Foster's careers dip dipped back a little bit. Virgil van Dijk, Victor Winyama, Musa Dembele. You know, that's a pretty formidable spine already.
1: Yeah, it is. Well, I'd uh, I'd a wee go at putting together a team. Uh, Let's just, hear it. Just out of uh, interest now, to be very clear before I start saying, I'm not saying this is a team that would reach the Champions League semi-finals. I put it together to see if I thought, if I looked at it afterwards and thought. So this is of the, I don't know, what would you call it? The sort of Basically, since Neil Lennon came in, the sort of modern Celtic buy low, sell high era, this was the team. So I'd have put Craig Gordon in goal because I think Fraser Foster, I mean, I think he's the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League. The wall, uh, as, yeah. the, as the Barcelona press called him. Yes, well, I, I never particularly rated him at the time. Uh, I guess you'd have to have Lush take right back. You've you got... Wait a minute, I'm going to stop.
0: You didn't rate Fraser Foster at all.
1: Well, no, I not not that I didn't rate him at all. I just, I just never thought he was. I never thought he was all that. I thought he was a very good goalkeeper. But I'll, I'll, let, you, I'll let you have well, that one. History, we... history is on my side. <laughs> well, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess you'd have to have Lush take right back. Obviously, Van Dyke goes in the centre. I'd probably have Ayer alongside him because I've spoken on this podcast before. I think he's a real, real good player. You need to get an ex-Killy player in there. Of course. Uh, Tierney left-back, obvious. Wanyama and Scott Brown, I guess you'd have... I've gone for a sort of 4-2-3-1. Put Wanyama and Scott Brown in there. you probably have to have Forrest on the right. Armstrong in the hole. Sinclair on the left and I guess Dembele up front and obviously you could have uh, the rest of them on the bench. Now, I'm looking at that team, to me, is that a Champions League semi-final team? I don't think it is. Um, No. And I think the big difference to Ajax is, uh, firstly, I think the Ajax thing was sort of lightning in a bottle. You look what's happened this summer. Yeah. They've, they, um delict has gone to Juventus, the midfielder, remind me his name, has gone to Barcelona. de jong Dijon. Frankie Dijon. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's him, yes. He's gone to Barcelona. So already, Ajax being in a similar position to Celtic, they've done uh, amazing things and the team's come in and taken all the best players away. And I also think the Ajax thing's slightly different because it all sort of started whatever it was ten years ago when they sort of brought Johan Cruyff back in and he sort of went, tried to build it from the ground up and bring you know go back to the sort of the the old Ajax, the old Dutch four three three, same at every level of the club, and that's a very different model to what Celtic have, which is uh, which is again is a perfectly acceptable fine model is to buy players from abroad, develop them and then sell them for big money to the Premier League, whereas Ajax seems to be. You know, uh, indoctrinate these kids in the Ajax school, bring them through, play them, and then eventually sell them on. And,
0: and they sort of um, just sort of sprinkle with a little bit of stardust. So they, they spent a good amount of money on Tadic, for example. Yeah, Tadic and fifteen uh, million as well. Yeah. yeah, that's more money than Celtic would ever spend on a player. But but what they seem to do is they seem to spend big.
1: Heavily on one or two, yeah, and sport. then they sort of trust the academy product, products with the the rest of them. I mean, uh, I remember against Real Madrid when they played them last year, there's a uh, guy coming on. I think it was only his, 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 his like third start or something, or no, not his third start, his third appearance. He came on in the burnabout and played really well because that's the kind of trust they put in players because they really trust that system they have uh, and. You, you know, no, I don't think any listeners will need us to tell them about the, the great players Ajax have produced from Croy through Bergkamp and Edgar Davids, Patrick Klibert, right through to the present day. And I think the, the Celtic model is slightly different, which is why I'd say in the current climate, I'm not sure that um, Petrescu's comments that if Celtic don't sell players, I'm not sure they could necessarily reach that level. Mm-hmm
0: do you, do you think we'll look back on that period, uh, 2003 to 2008, when we had two clubs in a European final? Now, fair enough, it was the Europa League. It was the UEFA Cup then. But as a, as a sort of golden period... Because I remember being around at the time, and it wasn't really thought of like that. I mean, we were still struggling in Europe uh, in some senses. We couldn't very often get past the Champions League uh, group stage, for example. Celtic under Martin O'Neill never did that. Uh, that came slightly later on. But the... The fact that, um, I may have got my figures wrong there actually, I think Celtic reached the group stages for the first time under Gordon Strachan, which would have been 2006. Yeah, they got, yeah, they got through and played yeah. Milan, didn't they? So so they were doing well enough, but um, certainly under O'Neill they didn't do that, but do, do you think that's unlikely to happen again? Because even in its reconstituted format, the Europa League is still the playground for big clubs. You know, we see Chelsea winning it last year. We know that Seville have had a monopoly on it. I think they've won it five times in the last uh, fifteen years or something like that. And they're a massive club. and Real Madrid won it recently. Exactly. Uh, can you see a scenario where
1: Celtic and Rangers could feasibly get to that stage? I mean, it's possible, but uh, I mean, I think obviously I was a bit, bit younger at the time, but I think it, it was certainly a bit of a surprise. I thought when both clubs got there, and I think they were certainly helped by two well, extraordinary things too, big factors. Celtic, one, is they had a very good team, but notably they had Henrik Larson. Yeah, world-class An player. absolutely world-class player who was playing in Scotland and, you know, real top, top class, which you you don't often get playing in Scotland. Even, even then, when they were probably, you'd say, a higher standard of player, he was just, you know, a real top-level player. Yeah. And Rangers had, you know, a fantastic manager, a fantastic organisation in Walter Smith. They were this is not criticism, but they were very defensive on that run to the final. It was all about being well drilled, being well organised, being hard to beat, and it got them to it got them to the final where ultimately they just came up against a team they couldn't beat. Celtic was much the same. They took Portos extra time, you know, that's Jose Mourinho's Porto team that won the Champions League the next year. So I think to give you a short answer to the, the question, I think what it would take for Rangers to get to the final would be some sort of um, extraordinary season, some sort of extraordinary event. I don't think you'll ever get, certainly in the near future, a situation where both teams are regularly making quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. I think you'd need that sort of X factor of a Henrik Larsson or something.
0: And if that's the glass ceiling potentially for Rangers and Celtic, let's just quickly touch on Aberdeen, because you would say that for them, their version of that, getting to European Cup final, or a UEFA Cup final, as it stands the, at the moment, obviously we know they've won the Champions, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup um, in 83, and they have that history, but for them, if they were to get to the Europa League, that would be an unbelievable achievement. It's, I look at that draw that they've got at the moment, I think Rijeka they can get past, I, I believe that they will get past Rijeka, um, but then they come up against potentially uh, Ghent, who are who are a very good side. Um, would that be the kind of ceiling for Aberdeen, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think if Aberdeen could get to the group stage, that would be an absolutely magnificent achievement. And I think, yeah, that probably would be, just when you look at the the budgets of teams in there. And if you're going into the group stage, that's when you're going to come up. I mean, Roma are in the group stage this year. That's when you can draw yeah. some real big hitters. Um, I think last season or the season before, you know, Marseille were in there. You've got Atletico Madrid obviously went on to win it. A few years ago, you've got some real big hitters there. And, you know, uh, I think that's the... And obviously, the uh, dream for Comarnock is to make it past North Wales uh, in European (laughs) competition.
0: That's the ceiling. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Okay, we're going to move on to Partick Thistle now. There's been a lot of tumult there over the last month or two. We first had the news breaking that there was interest from an American-Chinese consortium Uh, owners of uh, Barnsley and Nice, who are potentially going to come in and make a big money offer to take over the club. Uh, We then had a boardroom coup um, and one set of directors left, new ones came in. And since that uh, situation, we've seen Colin Weir, the mega-rich lottery winner who has been bankrolling certain aspects of the club, pull out with a fairly strong statement that has to be said about the direction the club's going in. On top of all that, we have um, reports that the club is cutting back on its financial outlays, both in terms of Gary uh, Caldwell's budget, something that Park Thistle themselves strongly refute, and the use of team buses to certain away fixtures. Gibby, what do you make of all this? It seems to... It seems to become out. So it seems to have come out of nowhere, essentially, um, from a club that seemed quite stable not long ago with the, the finances of, um, of Colin Weir.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Did and I think you know Thistle for the last twenty years or so. I think have been a well-run club. When obviously in the what was mid nineties they had the save the Jags thing, and the whole thing after that was that they'd never returned to sort of. Uh, an unsustainable thing. Now we know they got they got relegated, and then last year they, I mean they almost got relegated again. But there was not there wasn't really uh, that I am aware of. I mean, obviously I'm not uh, in, involved, you know, day to day. I'm not a part. Of, I'm not an part Thistle Fans Trust or whatever. But it didn't seem like there was much you know going on behind the scenes. I think the they've scenes.
0: had their ups and downs over the years in terms of. I don't think certainly under Ian McCall was talking in sports uh, sound last night, and he was talking about the various sort of financial difficulties the clubs had. I don't think it's been. Uh, it's been badly run over the years. But I think things have been tight, certainly. I think that's that's fair to say.
1: Sure. But I think you look at it now and you've got this Chinese American group possibly coming in, you've got the as you say, the the boardroom coup, and it looks like from the outside, like they're essentially waiting on this money coming in. Um that you know, that's why they're, they're not doing the buses, they're they're not doing, you know, whatever. And that was part of the reason that Colin Weir said he pulled out because he didn't want to be investing in things when he doesn't know anything about these people who are supposedly coming in. Mm. Um, I don't know, I'd have to check. Um, I know Barnsley's in England, but uh, the dual ownership Well, rules, that's the, that...
0: apparently the big issue, Yeah, is that, you know, uh, so, we've seen Mike Ashley have to give up uh, a significant portion of Rangers shares on the basis that you can't hold, hold I think it's over 9.9%, maybe 10%, but certainly around that figure... Um, otherwise, you're in contempt to
1: that rule. So then you've got to question what happens if the SFA don't allow this takeover and you've got this board that's in charge now who seem to be waiting on this this money that's going to come in from China. What happens if the SFA then veto that move? Mm. Um, Did they bring Jackie Lowe back and try and get Colin Weir back? Because yeah, we
0: know Jackie Lowe is very close to Colin Weir. Yes, so it seems so like that is a... It's almost like a duo, a partnership in terms of if she's there, he'll be on yeah. board with the investment. And that's the kind of
1: the, the schism, yeah. And, well, and I think is it also his son's a Thistle it. which I think is how he first got involved. Also, I might might add, guy got guy won the lottery, still lives in Ayrshire, which proves it's <laughs> God's own country. But that's um, that's beside the point. But the, the
0: the one thing I would like to drill into the detail of Gaby, with it with someone who was really close to this situation is why did Colin Weir invest? And he says himself he invested two point five million. Why did he invest so much money in the club when he could have bought the club? I would imagine for significantly less than that and secured his investment over the long term. Because at the moment, Colin Weir's pulled out, having put in two point five million into a black hole. Because the next owners, we don't know what their intentions are. You know, we don't know what the next thing is for 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 Partick Thistle. No, it seems strange for a man of his wealth to to put in that kind of money to potentially put in six million pounds into a. Um, training facility, which I mean, sounded fantastic, and certainly we know he was bankrolling the youth up there. Um, but I, I think it's odd that he wouldn't have just purchased the club outright and secured that investment. It seems, it seems weird.
1: Yes, it, it, does, it does seem weird. I mean, maybe he just doesn't want to be involved in the day-to-day running of a club. I say, as I think it's, I think the reason he sort of got involved was his son's a Partick Thistle fan, yeah. and I know he's been involved in football elsewhere. I think. Who was? It was. I don't. It wasn't true, but it was there yeah. was a there was an Ayrshire team where he sort of paid for them to have their pitch laid. So I think. I guess he obviously does have an interest in... a
0: philanthropic in, exercise more than anything else. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I, well, that that's what I'd assume it was, and that maybe he doesn't want to uh, run the business. Now, I, I don't know. There are maybe people who are closer to Partick Thistle mm. than we are who could, who could maybe tell us, but I think it's a really concerning situation for Thistle. I mean, when you're going... I, I know it's not a big deal. It's not a long journey the players can drive there. To, for some reasons, it, it makes sense. You know, I'm not saying that... There should be, um, you know, uh, protests outside for Hill because the team bus isn't there. But if a team's starting the G- season... Gordon
0: Dale and Clyde's uh,
1: one last night called it
0: a, a blow.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I that's, think that's over, over the top, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it is absolutely over the top, but... Uh, It isn't good optics, though, a team starting the season with the players having to drive themselves to their own games. Now, whether or not it's a sensible cost-cutting move, which it may very well be, it's the optics of it which don't look good. And from the statements I've seen from the Partick Thistle board, they don't really seem to be giving much information to the fans. I mean, they've just said, the one today just said, well, we'll update fans at a later date. And, you know, but you need to get behind the team because we're going for promotion, which if you're a fan, I think uh, I wouldn't be happy with as a statement. Absolutely. Well, we'll keep you up to date with everything that's
0: happening with Park
1: Thistle as it
0: happens on Football Scotland. Um, just before we go, Gaby, um, much discussion at the desk this morning on a, f- a factor in the Fantasy Football League, Ladbrokes Fantasy Football League we're all uh, very passionate about, that we've discovered that you can you can have no substitutes. You can get away by just filling your team full of high-quality stars and not filling that bench. This has
1: been a revelation. Is it cheating? well my dad certainly thinks so I told him about this yesterday and he declared it to be cheating I think it's possibly it's within the rules of the game it might not be within the spirit of the game but you know as they say all's fair in love and fantasy football
0: it's the equivalent of Kelly players wrapping their arms around people in the box isn't it yeah it's, it's, exactly- it's
1: not good but
0: you know sometimes you've got you got to do what you've got to do (laughs) well that's one to think about guys if your fantasy football uh, team is struggling perhaps you want to get rid of your subs bench and invest that money in a James Tavernier or a Ryan Christie or a Scott McKenna, although maybe that wouldn't be a very good no. idea <laughs> <laughs> given that he looks like he could be subject to a big bit. Anyway, that's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow before 4pm just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable. You can get more from us at the Football Scotland website on our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter at Football underscore Scott To ask a question or make a comment to us individually you can give me pelters on at Johnny R McFarlane. You can talk to Gabby at uh, Gabby McKay Until tomorrow, thanks for listening